Hi, this is Deda, and today we're talking about the mark of Cain. The Mark of Cain was born as a love letter to history and it's my personal love letter to how many stories are there in history and sometimes how much we underestimate the importance of those stories in our life. It's also a love story to physics, science and many other things that used to fascinate me when I was a kid. The idea for The Mark of Cain came to me when I was in university and I was in my history major and I was taking medieval history. And my teacher was this very charming man who would conduct his lesson pretty much as a storyteller would, making every single word he say extremely fascinating and all the stories extremely entertaining. Amongst the legend that he told us was the one of the Aaron Jew apparently a figure that was cursed to live forever for having committed a sin. And we had an entire exam that was about eschatology, which is the fear of the end of the world. In general, you know, how the world begins with God and ends with God. It begins with the creation and ends with the final judgment. So the time of God gave me an idea to write a story that was contained within the lifespan of the creation of life and ended maybe with the creation of life itself or something very similar to it since in physics we know that uh, things cannot be created they cannot be destroyed they just can change form but the the quantity of energy in the, the universe is always the same so the materials in general cannot be destroyed, cannot be uh, created from scratch, but uh, they can only be transformed. Though, you know, there are some, some little uh, particles that don't quite behave like that, but that is a story for another time, I would say. So, the original idea for the Mark of Cain was pretty lame. It was just a story of this man that would follow the love of his life through centuries. He will follow her reincarnation, recognize her through her eyes, and he would just be obsessed with his green eyes and just look for her over and over, and even in other people. Eventually, though, it was too simplistic as an, an idea, so I, I kind of decided to, to incorporate all the stuff that I was learning in, in my course and uh, make it more interesting. And at one point, it just came to me uh, to just take history and flip it, turn it into a legend. But what if the stuff of legend was actually an historical fact that it's hard to believe as it is, it was actually true. It was not just a fairy tale. So this was the, the, the base for some of the chapters, I would say, how Atlantis and Cinderella became part of Terra and uh, this historical event actually happened in the Mediterranean Sea where an entire continent was destroyed by this massive eruption. And if you go to Santorini, you can still see the caldera and what's left of that massive explosion. But historically speaking, this volcanic eruption was uh, witnessed in many, many documents across the globe. And even there is a record in China of 
the volcanic ashes reaching the crops in China and covering their crops and stuff. So it was really massive explosion. And all the little fairy tales that I decided to put into it were, you know, like the Minotaur, uh, what if it was just someone that was really, really good at jousting the bull in Crete, and what if Crete and Santorini and all those other islands that now look like crumbs and leftovers of something massively bigger were actually, you know, part of this one big continent that was destroyed by that one explosion. It's a bit of a stretch, of course, but uh, for story purposes, it was quite fun to consider. I also thought that it was kind of fun to look at those ancient aliens theory and just poke a little bit of fun of them. Um, uh, certain things are really um, too amazing to, to let go of, like when they try to find historical fundamentals to myth and turn some myth into historical facts or, or uh, the other way around, where, when they try to uh, take a myth and pass it as a real thing. Uh, even a scientific things, I'm not saying it's alien, but aliens. Well, one of the ideas that I once had was that before aliens come and find us, maybe we will be able to visit ourselves in a way and we'll find a way to travel through time or something like that. And I thought that it would be interesting if there was like a, a, a person or a character that you know, did not perceive time like everybody else does. Um, he could sleep through millennia and say it's a nap or uh, just uh, with a blink of an eye could slow down time to l make this one wonderful day last forever so that he can enjoy it to the max. Um, I'm not saying like a time lord, but a time lord. <laughs> So uh, something similar to a time lord, but not quite. I was thinking about something outside the universe itself, something that uh, could perceive the entire span of the creation of the universe as a calendar, sort of what uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson does in Cosmos, you know, where it says, this is the entire creation of the universe. And right here on the midnight of the 31st of December, Man, man came to be. Uh, I always found that uh, program very fascinating. Uh, so it was like, yeah, it was a very similar concept to what I was trying to express. But still, this was also not enough compared to what I was trying to say. I also wanted an anthropological take on this story, how slow we are at learning. Technology advances much faster than our human um, emotions. And I mean, it took us millennia to even figure out the concept of mercy properly. And still, even when it was first introduced to us, we did not grasp it. And 1,800 years later, we're still we're treating people like crap. And I would say that 20th century, 21st century aren't looking much better, though they are much, much, much better. Uh, but there are certain things that, you know, kind of show you how the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages are not an historical factor. They are geographical. There are pockets of Middle Ages, just like there are pockets of Bronze Age. And just like there are pockets of future, 
all over the globe. It's, it's strange to tell, but we may all be living in the 21st century, but we are not all living in the same time period. For that, I took a very hard approach because I chose as a protagonist a character that is really not likable at first. In fact, what you are about to read is not an easy story. You can choose to either react or respond to it. And maybe you're mature enough to uh, choose to respond. Kane is not a character that um, does much more than reacting at first. Not um, because he has reasons like his childhood or whatever. It's just because um, he's like that. It's his nature. He's not an easy character, and for most of the story, he reacts to things not because he has reasons to do so, but because he chooses to adapt. And um, the childhood of mankind is quite cruel, and if he doesn't adapt, he will not be able to survive, even though you may say but he's not going to be dying, he's immortal. Not at the beginning of the story. So the beginning of mankind is a very sterile one and it's a futuristic beginning. And uh, yes, it's treated cruelly, but it does not have the maturity to respond to whatever is around him. It just reacts to everything. He becomes an overachiever. He becomes like an Olympic champion. He becomes a genius at chess. He goes and gets some 11 degrees PhDs of sorts. Like he's a child genius. All of that is due to the fact that not being born scientifically like all the other children, he was not born with this very uh, fundamental gland that it's called a tail. And apparently this one gland is also the receptacle for the, the, the tail energy which allows the living humans to manipulate things around them. They, they can manipulate time, they can manipulate um, matter. They, they are superhuman in a way. So they are very advanced. And it's pretty normal. So everything that he does, he has to demonstrate that he can do through sheer will and just through grit. So this is the one thing that kind of guides him for very long. How he always has to demonstrate that even though he's inferior, he's superior to others. And you can say that. Um, it's a stigma that he has, that he had a tough childhood. But the truth is, his parents really loved him. They created something that did not exist. And possibly because he knew the love of his parents, um, that he could also realize what hatred is. The two things go hand in hand, apparently. Um, though initially it's not very likable, I also give you a glimpse of what he is now in the future, in our time, and that should come to you as a reminder that there is hope. So the current Kane telling the story is a very nice guy, so why hate so much the one at the beginning when you know that he's gonna turn into that? I'm too curious to know how he's gonna get there. Um, so of course, we cannot jump uh, judgmentally into this story with our own two feet without first tasting to see if the water is cold or hot. Some people like to do that. They like to jump in. But the Mark Cade requires a lot of patience uh, because history is very slow, because evolution takes time. 
And so I don't want to do the one thing where overnight suddenly he changes. There are things that are done to him and there are things that he does. Because at the beginning of the story, he's still merely a child, even though he's in an adult form. So he comes with all those kind of childlike cruelties and disappointments and expectation as well as demands if you want. Uh, he's a very demanding kid. Um, on the other hand, the supreme beings that are supposed to watch over him are also quite an experience. It's the first time dealing with something so unexpected, so hard to control. And sure, you may say they are omniscient. Are they? I'm not, I don't think so. I, I think that they they tell you, they, they will tell you the story with the eyes of the foreseer, uh, especially Justus, will tell you that because he's telling you the story in past tense. So he's seen the ending and he's one of the narrators. So you can choose to believe Justus and follow whatever version of history is giving you. Some of the stories are told from Cain's point of view. And only recently, uh, he's been questioned as a reliable narrator by his wife. His wife is like, why you make everything so simplistic? So you know, when Eustace is narrating, you have Eustace's story. But I'm not quite always showing you Cain's narration. You only know that Cain's is narrating the story when there is no voiceover. Because every time you have the voiceover of the narrator, you know that that's Eustace telling you the story. So it's quite detached. It's from his point of view. That Cain would do something similar, it's a bit offensive to Rebecca. Uh, she's like, I'm not that stupid. You can actually explain to me as complicated as it is. We have already seen that when the stories are told as complicated as they are from just to standpoint, they're quite long-winded. They're 90 pages or so. And Cain has a tendency of giving you mini chapters instead. And... He's the one talking about the trials, for instance. The trials are the blue pages that you see in heaven when both uh, Hollis and Eustace are in that orange shaped form. So throughout the narration, what you see is that men are slow learners and, and they learn better when they're mature or older. We tend to go to school when we are young and all those basic notion are given to us and they are injected into our brains and we have no understanding as to what's the use of all those notions. Most of the things that we learn in school we believe that we'll never use for the rest of our lives. What's the use of knowing trigonomics? What's the use of knowing this? What's the use of knowing grammar? Uh, little do we know that a lot of those things are there to train our mind to be elastic or that some of those fundamentals actually slither in our knowledge in the back of our brain and we do use it without knowing that we're using it but if you learn something when you're much much older you understand what you're learning and so that knowledge would stay with you faster as in you will remember it much faster than when you're young will it stay with you longer i'm not sure there's a tendency of information acquired in later years to degenerate really really fast but some behavior uh, do stay. Like if you create habits when you're in your 30s or in your 40s, those are the habits that will stay with you for life. So in a way, we have not reached the 30s and the 40s of Cain. We'll reach it a bit late, I would think so. But right now, we are seeing the child learn and, and he's 
slowly adapting and at the same time Eustace and all us are adapting to what is happening in in Kane's life and how their decision is having undesired impact and so they're learning that uh, uh, pedagogy doesn't work andragogy doesn't work so they're trying now a, a bit more of hutakogy which is Kane should be learning from his peer in a way right so the some of the concept took millennia to develop. Like I said, the concept of mercy took thousands of years to, to develop. Um, if we take it from the religious standpoint, it was introduced by very ancient religion. And usually the people that introduced concept of mercy to very cruel worlds were either killed, you know, crucified, turned into martyr, or they become like hermit. They isolate themselves from the world. Uh, because they risk um, being killed. In a way, this is also a story told from the standpoint of a villain. And for very, very long, Cain was the greatest villain of them all. He invented death, if you want. And he stayed the greatest villain, and he will stay the greatest villain for quite some time very very long but and this is not a story of redemption in general i think it's more of a story of a slow learning process and it's a story about what makes a man man um what is the main difference that we can make into the animal kingdom compared to other creatures that live uh by instinct or by their own um, sets of rules, I would say, their own morality, their own ethics. Uh, we tend to humanize those aspects in animals' life, but uh, it's our mistake. And it's also a little cruel on our side, I would say. One of the reasons why I chose for Eustace and Olus to follow Cain in animal form is because of that, because I want to show that uh, animal ethics is quite different. So they are very much affected by the animals that they inhabit. And he has to be animals. He cannot be another human because they would take that person's life away. And the animal does not have like a goal or a dreamy life or something of, of the sort. So they don't affect it for very long. They just uh, live on the fact that being very simple-minded kind of creatures they may have a personality, they have desire, they have affection, but they are not complicated or pondering the meaning of life. They don't have philosophy. Maybe. I don't know that. There may be their own version of these things. But in a way, uh, Hollis and Eustace feel that they would impact animals a little less than more evolved being. But at the same time, the less developed the being is, the more they are affected by their desire and wishes. Um, when Hollis was inside the owl, uh, they could not talk. They just hoot hoot. They were a hoot and a half. Uh, they were obsessed with flight. And so during the episode, they were silent most of the times. And this is not because I think the birds are not smart, but I think it's because uh, flying is a very important thing for them. It's not like 
walking for us. It's it's defying gravity. So I feel it's a more important thing. Uh, it's more of an obsession. Some birds just fly because they fly. I mean, they 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 feel a bit like Jonathan the distance. They they think and they are because they fly. Uh, they're not just flying for eating or for other purposes. So um, there will be animals like that. They will be driven what, by what is important in their everyday life. And that will affect um, Eustace and Alice a lot. Uh, like the bull was very vain. So Eustace was very bultiful when he was a bull. And when he was a horse, he was very proud as well. Uh, but in general, Eustace, um, they're very proud. Um, so I, I think that they choose proud animals on purpose. Possibly, yes. Uh, whereby Hollis are more of the kind that like to have fun in a way. So uh, they, they, they choose uh, fun animals like uh, a hog nose or, or uh, a baby croc that floats like a log or you know a bird that likes to fly and soar. Uh, that's that's Olus for you. Olus enjoys uh, the beauty of nature in, in a way. In the original lame version of this story, uh, Eustace and Olus were uh, this invisible giant creature following Cain everywhere, um, sitting on his shoulder. So you could imagine this tiny cane that I mean it's not tiny it's 192 so he's quite a tall guy but you know he would have this three meters tall orange creature sitting on his shoulder and Hollis would be super small like a like a firefly um it was too animish in a way so I decided not to do it and to go with animals also because I do love drawing animals in comics and they tend to steal the show away for me so I really wanted to have a little more of a comedy relief in a story that sometimes would be quite tragic because history is not very easy. Uh, meant to be quite sad at times and it will tackle a few issues that are not pleasant but you know they're part of history so it's good to say that it's not like most people think oh back in the days everything was much simpler. No. No, you died like crazy of the stupidest illnesses that you can think of. And if you were a woman, you were worthless. And if you were a peasant, you were worthless. And then at one point, you you weren't much more than somebody else's property. So life kind of sucked big time until the concept of mercy came to, you know, take more and more dominance in, in, our, in our lives. So... Uh, so Arcane will go through history like that with this uh, superhuman, immortal way of seeing things and conceiving the time. He could choose, I, I don't like this century, I'm going to take a nap for 200 years in this cave and when I'm done, please wake me up because I've had enough of people right now. Or he could travel to different continents and stuff. So in a way, he's a very curious person that travels around but it's also that it doesn't have much more to do and um, doesn't have anyone to be with. So he will always be looking for companionship because Hollis and Eustace are not enough. And uh, he will still 
feel the need of having what he felt with his parents and um maybe redeeming not not so much redeeming but giving justice to his first wife because he was not fair to her and he realized that he wasn't being a good person too late when he lost her. But Ken is also a mysterious figure. If you ask me, there are still a lot of things that he has not told us yet. And one of which is this ability that he has to suck the tail energy out of people. So why do the second human have tails if they don't have a tail gland? Clearly, they don't have a tail gland because they were not made in the oven. So there's something else inside their body that he's able to extract. And we don't know yet what it is, but to him, they are the stuff the stars are made of. And when he first destroyed the planet, he realizes that once again, it was his anger taking over. And he realizes that he lost something that he actually did not hate that much, that he hadn't been fair to too late. And so um, he decided to cleanse and separate the good tails from the bad ones and send them to be bad, the stuff of the heavens, you know, become stars or whatever. And the rest of it, the rest of it became darkness. I am not quite sure we'll understand what that whole thing meant until the very end of the story, possibly. But every now and then, Cain will keep some of the tales that uh, he will feel strongly about in fear that they will feel lonely being out there. And there are still things that he also doesn't know he can control. So sometimes he knows that he can do things or maybe he instinctively do things like babies who know that they need to walk uh, or talk you know to communicate uh, even even if they are in the wild the baby will walk at one point i mean they uh, it, it's kind of like that innate things that it's in all the living things uh, like how does a bird know that at one point he needs to fly so there are these things that are innate in him and he knows how to do without knowing that he knows how to do and then he does and there are things that maybe he will figure out and things that Eustace and all the things that they know that they actually don't know. So it's a complicated issue. But I don't think we should focus too much on that yet because we are discovering that they exist along the way. We're discovering all of these things together. We can Eustace and all us. And I think that's the most important thing that we make that journey, this journey, of self-discovery, this journey towards mercy, this slow learning journey together with them, with mankind, following the slow rhythm and pace of evolution.
I hope you enjoyed this talk about the Mark of Cain. There's a lot more to be said about this series, but it's such a broad series with such a broad range of topics that I think that unless I receive questions about specific things, I could talk about it for days and I really don't want to do that and bore you to death. So make sure to drop me a question in the Discord channel and that will become the topic of our next conversation. So until next week, this is it. Thank you very much for listening.